Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the Long War. Today is Monday, so our co-host is Joe Bruzman. Joe is my friend, my colleague, and partner in crime here at Generation Jihad. Joe is a senior research analyst at FDD's Long War Journal, where he is primarily focused on Palestinian militant groups and Hezbollah and so much more than that. Joe, it's Monday. Welcome to Generation Jihad. Hey, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Yep. Good to have you back. We uh, had a little hiatus last week because of President's Day and whatnot. So we're going to get caught up today on what's happening in largely in Gaza, as well as what's been going on with Hezbollah. Let's start with Gaza. It's been more than four months of fighting. There appears to be a looming temporary deal on the horizon. The Biden administration really wants to get this in for Ramadan, pushing really hard, pressuring the Israeli government. But as this is happening, who do you think is winning, currently winning the war in Gaza? Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's so much happening right now. It's been happening, especially in the last few weeks uh, in regards to Gaza. So who's winning the war? I go over a lot of the data that comes out of Gaza as far as open source information, whether it's from the Israelis, whether it's from the terrorist groups themselves. It's, it's a lot. All right. But nevertheless, what I'm seeing, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and the other dozen or a little more than a dozen uh, Palestinian terrorist groups that operate in the Gaza Strip right now. They're low on ammunition, all right, for about more than four months into a war. They're low on rockets. Uh, and uh, I'm seeing increase, more cooperation between the, the groups, okay? Joint attacks. Now, that's not, you know, we've seen that before, right? These groups will cooperate. But this is different. They're doing it a lot more than what I've seen in previous, in the early stages of the war, right? And in previous conflicts, all right? So I'm seeing a lot of that. That signals to me that they're relying on one another because the obvious, right? More than four months into a war, and the Israeli military is just hammering them, all right? Destroying weapons caches, uh, killing their uh, fighters. So it's, it, things are getting difficult for these organizations. So, uh, and also, the, it's, it's pretty plain to see, to be quite honest with you, but the amount of rocket attacks from the Gaza Strip to Israel is actually is decreased immensely, immensely. There are days that there are no rocket attacks, even on the what's usually called the Gaza uh, envelope or the Israeli communities near near Gaza. Some days there aren't even mortar attacks or rocket attacks. So, um, when's the last time there's been a rocket fired at at a, a, a large at an Israeli city like or like Serot or Ashkelon or Ashdod or Tel Aviv? It's become rare, all right, and that's because of the things that I that I, uh, that I just mentioned. So, uh, right now. The way things are going, the way I see it is that Israeli military is winning. Israel is winning, right? Now, the problem is, and we can go into this in a few minutes, is that the only way to win this war, right, is to continue the military operation. And I understand the uh, arguments about uh, civilian casualties, but, but if Hamas, uh, or rather, if Israel wants to destroy Hamas, it has to go into Rafah, all right? And we'll talk about that more. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, at least right now, today, Israel's winning the war. It's a great point you make, Joe, about the logistics. It's something I don't see discussed with this war. And frankly, I haven't thought about it much myself. Uh, so, yeah, really wise of you to point that out. 
Well, look, the fact is Gaza is isolated by the IDF. Uh, they control uh, it's, you know, three or two of the borders are Israel, the north and the, 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 the east. The, to the west is the Mediterranean, which the Israeli Navy patrols. And then you have the border, Gaza's border with Egypt, and you have the tunnels there. Is there any evidence that the Egyptians have cracked down on the smuggling? Do we, do we know anything? I mean, I've realized that's probably peering into the black hole. Um, but just curious, I mean, do we know, do we know like how much supplies, if they were operating at full tilt, could the smuggle, you know, the needed weapons and ammunition to continue this fight? Because I'm with you, Joe. I think you're absolutely right. They have to be run, running low on ammunition and weapon systems. And the point about the rockets, they they don't have an infinite supply and getting them, manu- you know, the, the parts delivered and then manufactured while they're under fire has to be a very difficult prospect for the Palestinian terror groups. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I haven't seen hard evidence you know, demonstrating that, you know, there's still smuggling of weapons between uh, under Rafah or under the between Egypt and, and, and Gaza. Uh However, I know there, there is evidence that the Egyptians are fortifying the border area there. So, uh, at least uh, above ground. Okay, uh, so that's more to keep the Palestinians so, out than it is things going into right. Gaza, right? <laughs> right. Well, I think they're afraid of us a spillover, right, of, of, of Palestinians coming into or just getting across the border there and going into the northern Sinai. So, I think that's what they're worried about. I'm assuming. Stuff's happening underground. What the Egyptians are may or may not be doing, unfortunately, I can't say. What I think we talked about this some months ago. I'm pretty sure. My worry, if I was the Israelis, as well as you know, Israeli intelligence and uh, you know the military, is that uh, at the beginning of the war, that well, there was, was pretty well established that there's still tunnels remaining underneath uh, underneath Rafah. So, what would stop you know Hamas leadership from? exiting that you know exiting through the tunnels right into egypt you know so that's my i think that's a war i think that's a worry still even though we've heard in the news that oh you know sinwar uh is is, is under khan yunus in a tunnel somewhere beneath khan yunus uh or maybe in southern israel we've heard a lot about that in the news especially in the israeli press but i don't know i a part of me is, is saying well you know it'd be logical for him to escape through these tunnels right uh under the egyptian border so, but maybe he's a person that's, you know, who's willing to stay and fight, unlike other Hamas leaders that live abroad in, you know, in Doha and Turkey and others. So, um, nevertheless, uh, I don't know what's, what, what's, what's going on underneath there, but they're definitely, Egyptians are definitely fortifying it. And a lot of that, I think we're going to see a lot of this come into play when, when I think, I'm not saying if, but when the Israelis uh, go into into Rafah. Uh, I think they will. They've never been this close to dismantling Hamas, uh, and I don't think they're going to stop now. I, I just don't. Uh, barring barring a complete surrender of Hamas and uh, the release of all the hostages. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that would get the Israelis to stop. I, I do think. I know we talked about this at the, at the very beginning when we were discussing the Israeli military operations. I, I advocated for the Israelis to start at the border first cut off those, those supply right. lines because the rest was yeah. easily isolated and then worked their way north. And that would have been logical or they could have cut, cut, cut off the border. And the other thing with that too, Joe, if you think about it, there's a lot of Egyptian resistance to fight to an operation on the border. And that's, 
the Israelis would have had far more justification is the wrong word, would have had a far better argument to make that would be acceptable to the Egyptians within days and weeks after Hamas's attack versus waiting four months after it and all of the international pressure and whatnot. They could have taken they should have taken that off off that part of the the pressure operation that the Israel the Egyptians were going to put on them off the table in the beginning when there was still anger and outrage over what Hamas had done. Um, I would have I would have closed off and I'm I'm with you too. I think Sinmar, if he's smart, he escaped. Uh it it would be wise for him to do so. I, Joe, I, I just as an aside, I think I saw reports last week um in Israeli press that Sinwar was sick or wounded or oh, pneumonia. pneumonia. <laughs> this reminds me so much of the reporting that we witnessed in Afghanistan and Pakistan with you know Osama bin Laden had you know, it was a diabetic and Zawahiri had COVID and yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, you know, <laughs> where are the people getting these information from? And, you know, they, none of those reports ever went up to be being true. It was, uh, it was always kind of ironic. I, I just thought I, I figured I'd bring that up. I thought that was a humorous reminder that I, I think in war, you get all this reporting that just people are, I'm not saying that it was done in this case, but you know, someone tells a journalist something and the journalists get a headline and they want yeah. to put it out. There I'm sure it's and, happening. You know, again, yeah. not saying in this case, maybe it's legitimate information, <laughs> but you see this type of reporting and you really, I just got to nod my head and go, you know, we don't know the answer to that. Just like we don't know the answer to what the Egyptians are doing to stop the smuggling along the border. We could only speculate. Um, but Joe, there, that ceasefire deal that's being pushed by yeah. the Biden administration. And I'm just going to say it right off the bat. And, and you've said it already. The Israelis just need to keep going. Time is not on Israel's side. Um, just as the logistics, you know, you, you, I, again, I go back to that. Um, this, by the way, Joe and I hadn't talked about this. Joe brought this up right on the podcast right here. Um, that's why I'm a little um, uh, uh, fascinated by, you know, the discussion of the, the problems with Hamas's logistics, because, you know, that's that's is certainly one of their weak, weak points, if not their biggest weak point, their inabil- inability to get supplies. But the time is not on the Israeli side. And the last thing they need to do is give Hamas more time to survive tell us the details of what has uh, there's been new a lot of reporting out there on what might the ceasefire deal might mm-hmm. look like sum it up for us what do you think is being pushed and um what are is the israeli response going to be right so i'll tell you this so from what i've learned in this particular war is that even though there are reports that, be, that come out about oh you know the ceasefire may happen and by the way i see this as temporary but you know this is a temporary ceasefire not permanent um, that these reports that come out about a ceasefire, sometimes they have some details about the actual, uh, you know, the details about about the ceasefire, about how many people are going to be, how many hostages are going to be released, stuff like that. The way I see it, I generally uh, don't believe it. All right, or at least the details, right? Until the final agreement is made, because this is the stuff that can change. This is a negotiation. This is what's happening. They're negotiating between each other. With uh, between, uh, Hamas is negotiating indirectly with Israel. Uh, and so this is a back and forth thing. Okay. So, uh, and a, a couple of key points here. Hamas has said it will not negotiate under fire. It will not release the hostages unless there is a permanent ceasefire, unless uh, the war is over. Okay. And guess what? At least according to the reports, this is not happening. So one can say, oh, Hamas is softening its stance. It's being pragmatic. Okay. That's one way to see it. The other, the way I see it, is that 
Hamas is in a weakened position here, okay? Not only militarily, but through the, these negotiations because they're getting getting hammered by the Israeli military. And Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and all these other Palestinian terrorist organizations, you know, they, they continue to publish their propaganda. It's like, it's like if you were to only go off of what they're publishing, the, the, the Palestinian terrorist organizations, you'd think they are just destroying the entire Israeli army, okay? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But um, the numbers that they come up with, don't get me wrong, they are causing casualties, okay? They are killing Israeli soldiers, but it's nowhere near enough to slow the Israeli military down, okay? What is slowing the Israeli military down is not Hamas. It's not what's happening on the ground. It's, the, it's politics, okay? That's what's slowing the Israeli military down. So, uh, nevertheless, back to the uh, back to this framework, okay, of the ceasefire, or um, this, hopefully this is a ceasefire that will happen, um, is that the Palestinian, or rather Hamas and other terrorist organizations will release, uh, I'll say, uh, unknown amount of hostages right now for in exchange for Palestinian prisoners, okay? We don't know the details, the exact details. We've seen some reporting about 35 to 40 uh, Israeli hostages, maybe more uh, for hundreds of Palestinian prisoners Okay, uh, that are in Israeli jails, jails convicted for acts of terrorism. Uh, so, but that number can change. Okay? Uh, and what is what I'm interested in, and I don't know yet, is who the Palestinian prisoners are. All right. Is it, are we talking about, you know, um, low level operatives that did commit uh, acts of terrorism or are we looking at uh terror leaders that are uh that are serving you know, multiple life sentences in um in israeli jails right now uh and hamas has, has, has published a lot of propaganda in previous years uh just saying that they they are trying to get these guys released um, these aren't just hamas terrorists of course these are members of uh like the pflp the secretary general of the pflp PFLB, Ahmed Sadat, is in Israeli jail right now, and they want him out, okay? So who knows? He may be on this list. I don't know. So the, 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 the point being is that the, there's going to be some difficult decisions that's going to have to be made by the Israeli government, especially with those who are, uh, those Palestinian prisoners that are going to be released, uh, because some of them, like in previous deals, especially the Shalit deal, they have just gone back to uh, what they were doing before. They were they started uh, uh, operating against Israel, started uh, launching acts of terrorism. So, uh, so yeah. So right now, the details about the ceasefire ceasefire are a little murky. But I think, you know, the the Biden administration is really pushing for this. We know the Biden administration is under a lot of internal pressure, uh, especially you know here in the United States, and they want some sort of with Ramadan coming up uh, in the next few weeks uh so it's it's important for, for for some some sort of you know some some pressure off of uh palestinian civilians that have that are caught in this war okay and uh so we'll see and it, you know the length of this uh uh this the ceasefire this temporary ceasefire i've seen four weeks i've seen six weeks i don't know uh but i think one thing i do know i think it will last the entire uh, length of Ramadan. Okay. So it's a month, at least, I think at least four weeks we're going to see. So, but in the end, I think the Israelis are going to go into Rafah. Uh, I think there are, they're going to use Ramadan to the ceasefire, uh, to move, to try to get civilians out. Okay. Out of Rafah. 
so they can go in there. Okay. It'd be perfect, right? Because we got to remember there's more than a million people. I think there's more than 2 million people in Rafah right now. That takes time moving all those people. So we'll see. I think it'd be a perfect time for the Israelis to do that. So it could alleviate some of the Biden administration's concerns about civilian casualties. And, uh, and then we'll see the Israeli military go in to Rafah to uh, an attempt to dismantle the remaining battalion, Hamas battalion. Uh, but the ceasefire, you know, is it a good thing? It just depends how you look at it, right? Uh, in the end, though, uh, it just the Israeli military just has to keep with that momentum. It's had it has not slowed down, and that's that's it's been great for them. It's taken a while; it's taken more than four months, but it's working so far. Yeah, my opinion is any ceasefire seeds the momentum back to Hamas. It gives them a breathing room. <laughs> that's that's the problem with all of this, and and you know, a thirty to forty hostage exchange for several hundred Palestinians. The message that sends is just. I know the Israelis have made far worse deals. The exchange, what it was, a one for a thousand. I get it. These things have happened, but we're post October seventh here. Where you know this is a different world. Um, I the I understand the pressures the Israeli government, the Israeli government is under, but you know they their singular goal should be to achieve the you know to clear Hamas, uh, Hamas out of Gaza to the best of their abilities to, to deal a blow to Hamas. And look, you know. This four weeks is that if God, if the, again, if the Israel look, I would be all for the ceasefire if the Israelis had taken those tunnels at the border, if they had secured Rafa and the Egyptian border first, then you could keep, you know, then you have a cauldron, you could keep it, you know, then you could, you could take the lid, lid on and off the pot. But with that, there's a relief valve there. And, you know, if, if we, if the Israelis actually think Sinwar and other senior terrorist leaders are in Egypt, that four weeks for them, you know, while there's no fighting, for them to get out of Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, get out of uh, Gaza and flee into Egypt. So, yeah, that's that's you know, look, that's Bill Raggio's take on it. Um, no, unfortunately, you know, in other conflicts, you know, they didn't listen to my advice, and I suspect they won't this time as well. You know, we don't drive <laughs> things here; we just analyze them. Um, right. So, Joe, let's turn to the north now. The um, conflict oh, yeah. with Hezbollah it's had its peaks; it's had its valleys. What have we been seeing yeah. in the last couple of weeks? What have we been seeing since we spoke last? Um, what could we expect right. going forward? I, I am actually, I'll say this, I'm very surprised that this conflict hasn't boiled over and the Israel is not in a full war with Hezbollah. And I would say in this case, it's actually a good thing. I mean, look, I'm for putting you know, my foot on the pedal in Gaza and the Israelis would be uh, smart to do that. And they'd be smart to you know, put it on cruise control, let it simmer up north because they got the conflict to deal with down south first. So, yeah, tell give us a, enough of my thoughts. Give, tell us what's happening. What do you think's going to yeah, be yeah. happening? Well, yeah, you said it. Uh, it's, it's basically had its ups and downs. Um, so, but what I'm seeing is that uh, things aren't changing. Where uh, at some point it's becoming. I mean, it's always been conflict up there is always dangerous. No, don't get me wrong, but we're seeing. I'm seeing these events where. Uh, it could just things can just really spiral out of control into a full blown conflict. What I'm and what I mean by that is, uh, so we're seeing, for example, uh, earlier today, actually, the the uh, Hezbollah claimed responsibility for downing uh, a, a Hermes drone, an, uh, an Israeli drone. These aren't tiny drones; these are like the big ones. Okay, this is serious. So, um, and which is interesting, but uh, because they've tried before. Uh, to get these drones down, and they've had some success with smaller drones, okay. Uh, but but this one was is different. Uh, 
nevertheless, they were they successfully downed one of these drones. Uh, and I think it was over southern Lebanon. I can't remember correctly. So the Israeli the Israelis responded to that, but they didn't respond in, near the border. They responded farther north. Actually, I think it was 60 kilometers farther north, which is actually rare, all right, in this conflict. A lot of it's just been on the conflict, just like I've said before, been around the Israel-Lebanon border, uh, the fighting there. So in response to that, uh, Hezbollah, uh, in response to the airstrike that was farther north, I think it was in the Baalbek region, uh, Hezbollah fired on the Golan. Hezbollah says they targeted an army base in the Golan Heights. And they fired, according to Hezbollah, 60 Katyusha rockets. I think it was it's, it's, the number's a little lower, but about that. But it's a lot, okay? Uh, so you're seeing, like, this one thing, one event happened, and then something else happens, right? And it just gets it's going up and up and up. So it's climbing, right? It's, it's escalating, right? So that's the worry here, I think, this whole time. That one event will just lead to, will create a chain reaction, okay? So, uh, and, and also the Israelis responded by, uh, striking a, uh, a targeted killing of, uh, uh, of a Hezbollah commander in southern Lebanon. They targeted his vehicle. I think they killed another Hezbollah guy that was with him. Uh, so, uh, and right now, by the way, right now, Hezbollah has lost more than 200 fighters, okay? And these aren't just low-level fighters. They're losing commanders. They're, lo- they're losing Rod 1 force commanders. These guys are, uh, these commanders, you just can't replace, okay? These guys have a lot of fighting experience, especially in Syria, okay? So, uh, these guys are important. So, nevertheless, uh, Hezbollah right now, again, what they're doing, their mission, if you read what they say, is their mission is to support the Palestinian people. But no, that's not. I mean, it, it sort of is, but what they're doing is tying up the Israeli military to slow uh, to slow the, the IDF, uh, slow the IDF down in Gaza, okay? But that's not happening. So that strategy isn't working, okay? But Hassan Nasrallah won't say that, okay? Uh, but that's what's happening. And now the Israelis are trying to push Hezbollah out of the Lebanon-Israel border area. And that's another subject we can talk about later, but uh, I don't know if that can, that's actually going to happen. But I think Hezbollah's strategy is failing right now overall. Again, they're trying to slow down the Israeli military in Gaza. That ain't happening. Uh, the Houthis in Yemen, right? Uh, they're, they're also applying pressure on Israel by uh, either firing ballistic missiles and drones at uh, southern Israel or uh, everything that they're doing to the commercial ships, inter- uh, commercial ships in the Red Sea and the Bab al-Mandab Strait. Uh, so nevertheless, what the axis of resistance is doing, led by, led by Iran, of course, slowing down the Israeli military, and that's not working, okay? That's why taking Rafah is so important for the Israeli military. They're almost there. Uh, but we'll see if it happens. But nevertheless, what's happening in the North is very concerning. It's escalating. I'm seeing more destruction, okay, on both sides. Uh, more rockets, more uh, airstrikes. So uh, it's, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And something very important as well, just let me quickly add, uh, Israel's defense minister, uh, Yoav Gallant, said yesterday that this, even if there is a ceasefire in Gaza, the Israeli military is going to go after Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Okay. So what they're saying, they're signaling is that even if there's a ceasefire, doesn't mean things in the north are going to change at all. The fighting in the north is going to stop, even though it did in December when there was a, like a week-long ceasefire. So we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what the Israelis do. Maybe they see an opportunity to, to, to really hammer Hezbollah in the north during the ceasefire 
uh, a temporary ceasefire in Gaza, if it even happens. So, uh, but so a lot going on. It'll be interesting to see what Gallant means by that. Or does that mean a full attempt to drive Hezbollah north of the Latani River? Something else uh, that that certainly bears watching. You know, with the you had mentioned the the acts of resistance strategy, um, you know, failing with respect to stopping the Israelis with Gaza. I agree with that. I do think where they have been effective is with the militias and putting pressure on the U.S. to, you know, there's talk of the U.S. leaving Iraq and Syria, um, although that theater has calmed down a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But particularly with the Houthis and the shipping, I think that they have, um, Iran and the Houthis have exposed the limits of American and European naval power um, and commitment and willingness to restore deterrence. So it's been a mixed bag. Certainly. Um, and, you know, what you had mentioned about Hezbollah, like what does Hezbollah do next? How do they de deescalate this if they're not going to go full bore against the Israelis to support Hamas? How do they walk back from um, from this if Ham Hamas is defeated? And that's that's going to be really interesting to watch. Joe, one last question before we we jump. You had mentioned the Rodman force that we'd be that have been killed by uh, members have been killed by the Israel Defense Forces. Just give us a, a, a quick background there. What is the Rodman force? What's its significance uh, to Hezbollah and to the axis of resistance? Right. So the Rodman force is essentially an elite division within Hezbollah, and uh, they've operated in Syria. And one of their strategies or goal is to conquer the Galilee region of Israel, basically northern Israel. I don't think they would be able to. The thing is, that's that's one of the reasons they exist. It is an elite unit. It's a small unit. I think there's about, there's various estimates. There's going to be 3,000, 4,000 members. Regardless, a lot of these guys, especially the commanders, they're battle-hardened members of Hezbollah. They're very important. And they have special training as well. And we're seeing they're very active in this war. Uh, so Israel is, is going after them. What Israel is doing is trying to exact a cost on Hezbollah here. Now, the way I've seen it, and I apply this to the Gaza war as well, and really you could do, apply it to any war. Generally, I think the, one of the most effective things you can do to an enemy, obviously, you know, you can destroy military equipment, right? But military equipment can generally be easily replaced, like in this case, rockets, all right, or you know, whatever, any aircraft systems, whatever. But replacing a guy that has years, maybe decades of, of fighting experience, someone that can lead, trying to replace that is so difficult. I've seen this with Israel and Hamas, where Israel will go after guys like engineers, all right? They'll go after the brains of a military unit that, that's trying to produce drones, for example. Because if you can kill that, then you can kill the ability to create or produce drones. And in this case, going after these Radwan commanders, you're eliminating the essentially leadership. You're eliminating guys that know what to do. It can make things difficult for Hezbollah to operate. So one other thing very quickly that I don't see enough the intelligence that Israel has on these guys, pretty amazing, actually. Uh, and not only in Lebanon, but in Gaza and in Syria. Over the weekend, uh, Israel eliminated two Hezbollah guys in Syria that were transporting weapons, presumably into Lebanon. It happened on the Syrian-Lebanon border. So Israeli intelligence has tabs on a lot of these guys. I think they're just waiting for the right opportunity. But generally, Radran Force is like the elite unit of Hezbollah. Two to three thousand, maybe a little more. Nevertheless, uh, a fighting force that uh, that is not easy to destroy. That's for sure. Yeah, they're certainly going to have to up the targeting of the Rodwan force to really impact them. But I, I agree with you. Going after them is the right thing for the Israelis to do. Joe, thanks for joining us. Looking forward to catching up with you again next Monday. 
Absolutely. Again, pleasure to be here. The next week, uh, we'll have a little bit more information on possible ceasefire. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can listen to us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to Generation Jihad and leave us a review, preferably a positive one, but only if we earned it. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again real soon.